Let's turn to Matthew chapter nine. It is our joy once again to look at this great and wonderful gospel, a gospel that was the the most important gospel in the life of the early church. We find more references to the gospel of Matthew and the early church fathers than what we find in from any other gospel, even that of John, especially that of Mark, and uh, even that of Luke. Matthew was really gained the reputation in the early church of being the teaching gospel, the one that was written in order to disciple new believers and to teach us how to live in the kingdom of God. That's why you find such a kingdom focus there. And uh, throughout, throughout the gospel, you find kingdom, references to kingdom over and over and over again. And so we've kind of modeled our, our uh, study through Matthew in uh, terms of the kingdom and talking about the life of the disciple and how we are to live in the kingdom of God. And as we are marching toward the second major discourse of Christ, the second major sermon, which comes in Matthew chapter 10, there is one more ministry summary that Matthew gives. And that's found in verses 38, excuse me, 35, through 38, and uh, I'm gonna ask you um, uh, just to remain standing, but uh, just follow along in your copy of the Word of God this morning as we read this passage together. Beginning in verse 35, it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's not an accident that Matthew puts this passage, this summary, right before Matthew chapter 10, where he's going to send out the 11, excuse me, 12 disciples, they become 11 later on, but the 12 disciples that go out, uh, it's not an accident that Matthew has put this place first. And as we look in the history of missions, I know Calvary has always been a mission-minded church. We've always been involved in the mission giving of the Southern Baptist Convention along with others as well. And as you look at the history of missions, there's really two kinds, two ways of missions that have always been a part of Christian history. The first one, and they've got fancy $3 names for these, and, and I'm not gonna bore you with those, but uh, quite frankly, because I don't remember them. But, uh, but essentially, you have kind of the fortress mentality. And the fortress mentality is when you go into a, a new nation and you set up essentially a, a base of operation. And usually there is literally a fence involved. There's usually protection involved. And, uh, and, you, and the missionaries they, and the mission teams, they come into that place at night and they sleep there at night and they, they do everything there. Uh, but then during the day, they open up the gate and they, and they go out. And so let me tell you that there are places in the world that that style of mission work is absolutely necessary. Uh, 
You have to do that. Uh, places where the gospel is forbidden, places where, uh, for instance, um, you may have to have physical safety at night. Uh, places like Haiti, they have to do, they have to do this style. Um, places like the Philippines in some areas, you have to do it this way, and, and all kinds of stuff like that. But there is another kind of mission work that is done, and again, this is, there's a fancy name for it, but that is the kind of mission work where you actually become part of the community. You live like they do. You live in the same kind of houses. If they live in a mud hut, you live in a mud hut. If they live in poverty, you live in poverty. And you essentially become one of the people. And you go out to where they are, you live like they do, you speak their language, you become part of their culture, and in that, you, uh, you bring the gospel influence to where they are. Now, like I said, both of them are necessary and both of them are, have their advantages and disadvantages, but I will tell you in the history of Christian missions, by far the most successful kind of mission work and the most fruitful have been not the first one, but the second one. And that's where the church actually becomes part of the community in order to bring the gospel into that community. And what is so interesting is that churches can get the same mentality where the church becomes like a fortress. And we, we come here and we tell everyone, if you want to hear the gospel, you need to come here. You need to come to us. And yet there is another kind of work in evangelism that we understand that we are to go outside of these four walls. We don't expect them to come to us, but we go to them. And again, I think there's merit in both kinds. In fact, I don't think a church should limit themselves to one. I think there should be both of them involved. But beloved, understand that the church is not called to be a fortress. The church is not called to be a place where, um, where we are settled and we are comfortable in these four walls, but we are saved to be sent. In fact, the early church did not even have four walls. The early church would meet wherever they could. They would meet in graveyards. They would meet in catacombs. They would meet in wherever they could. And there's still churches all over the world today that are doing that. And so the question is, what kind of model are we going to follow? And I think, what, I think that's what we find here in uh, the example that Jesus gives us in verses 38 through 35. I want you to notice what Jesus did. In verse 35, he goes through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And then he saw the people. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he responded by saying that they, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. I want you to notice this is the model that Jesus gives us. So I wanna look at this in three or four different ways and show how the model he gives us is the exact same model he's going to teach us in Matthew chapter 10. 
And so once again, Matthew is using this historic opportunity, this historic moment in the life of Christ to teach us something about being on mission for the kingdom of God. And here we have it in verse 35. One of the very first things he does and he models for us is that Jesus entered their world. He entered their world. He goes into the towns and the villages. He goes where they are. But I want you to notice, he goes to the synagogues. And you would expect this. This is exactly Paul's model. This is the model that he always follows. He goes to the synagogues first in just about every city that he goes to. And what I want you to understand about the synagogue during this time is that it was not, we think of the synagogue today, we think of it like a church, essentially, And that's because that's the way most modern synagogues are. They're pretty much like a church. But but back then, back during this day, the synagogue was literally the center of community life. It was where oftentimes business deals were done. It was where the Jewish children were educated. It was where uh, just about everything in the community, it was a meeting place. It, was, uh, it even had guest rooms, even in some of, the richer, uh, some of the richer synagogues would even have guest houses that were involved, that were part of the synagogue. It also served as kind of a local library, It was literally the center of community life. It it served as like a community center for the entire area. And that is where Jesus went. He went there because that's where the people were. He would go into the synagogues and he would proclaim and teach the kingdom of God because that's where ideas were being passed. That's where people were talking about the things and the happenings of the day. That's where stuff was going on. That's where children were being educated. That's where everything was happening, and that's where Jesus went. They were fully functioning community centers. And so he went where they went. He went unto their turf, and he entered into their places. Like I said, there's kind of two different kinds of church ministry model today. One of them is attractional, where, where we, we try to do things in order to attract people to come here. And there is a place for that. Don't get me wrong. But there's also a way that we can seriously take that way too far. Like uh, I was mentioning, uh, what was it, last week, about pastors ziplining to the pulpits and driving motorcycles on stage and all the lights and the fog and, and all that kind of stuff that they do in order to try to make it as much like the world as possible so that we can kind of sneak the gospel into these worldly appetites that people have. But beloved, we find that Jesus, he went into their places he, took, he went to the schools. He went to the libraries. He went to the community centers. He went to the places where the people were, and he engaged them in the conversations that they were having. He was proclaiming the gospel to them, proclaiming himself to them on their turf. And I think that's absolutely important. But he did more than that. He didn't just enter their places. He entered their lives He entered their lives. He didn't just go and hang out with them and call that ministry. He went with purpose. He went with an objective. He went to talk about the kingdom. He proclaimed the message of God. And one of the very most important things that we find here is that when he says, 
says Jesus was going through all the cities and all that, and he was teaching in their synagogues. You know, you can look through all the Old Testament, and you will not find one single example of a synagogue. And the reason why is because it didn't exist. The synagogue was developed during the Babylonian captivity. It was, uh, that's kind of where it kind of started. The idea for it became but then it really took off during the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, what we call the intertestamental period. It was never commanded by God. It was never something that he intended. Worship was to be centered in the temple there in Jerusalem. And yet because of the sinfulness of the people and because of the historical situations, it ended up, it ended up going out. And so there was nothing here in the synagogue that even remotely looked like Jesus. And yet, in a sense, he's going to their turf. He's going to this place. He's going to the very areas of disobedience, the very areas that shows their own fallenness and their own past um, failures before God. He's going into those places and he's proclaiming the kingdoms, the life of those around us that are not like us. They, they suffer from things that we don't quite understand. They're, they're, they're going to have different values than us. And yet God calls us to enter into their world. Enter into their world. Go where they are. Get to know them on their turf. They're not gonna be like us. They're not gonna be they're not gonna fit in our comfort zone, but that's okay. You know, there's a, there's a couple ways. Obviously, the, you know, I mentioned mission work. This is obviously the most literal way to do this, but understand there are ways that you can enter into people's world by being right here. Just enter into their world, find out about them, get to know them. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you asked maybe, one of our teenagers, what their favorite video game is. Or one of our teenagers, what, one of our youth, what, what, what subjects are they studying at school? Ask them about their friends. When's the last time you've done that? I was, um, there was a parent who was having a lot of hard time with their, with their teenage son. And, and, um, and he was like, I just don't get him. He, he's unmotivated. He is completely uh, uninterested in anything. All he wants to do is sit around and play video games all day long. You know, I, when I was a kid, I went outside, I played football, I, I did all of this stuff, and he doesn't want to do any of that stuff. He just wants to play video games. And I said, well, why don't you play a video game with him? Oh, I can't do that. Why not? He says, well, I mean, first of all, I'm gonna stink at it. Trust me, that is fun for him. <laughs> that is perfectly okay. He will laugh at that. You can bond over that. I said, look, you need to understand something. And my son's into this too. You need to understand this is their world. They, they play on leagues. They play on teams. Uh, they do all of this kind of stuff. Just like, just like back in the day when I would play team sports, they go online and that's their team and, and that's what they play. And you need to understand that. You need to understand that world. You need to go to that world if you're gonna connect with your son. 
Lovin', when's the last time we've gone into the world of someone else and got to know them on their terms? Figure out what makes them tick. What is it that they like? Go where they are. Ask questions. Volunteer. Be where the people are. Enter into their world. And, and I want you to notice number two in verse 36. And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were uh, distressed and dispirited or they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to notice the first thing he does is that he feels compassion for them. He enters their world and he starts to see like they see. He starts to, uh, he starts to see the world as that they are going through and you cannot help them when, when you are close to someone and you see the, you see the trouble that they are going through and the, and the lives that they're living and the troubles that they're having, you cannot help but to feel compassion for them. You cannot help but to Feel compassion. This is what he did. He saw that as they were going through the world, as they were going through, he saw that they were helpless. They were harassed. We talked about this already, how those two terms, you can go back through Matthew chapter eight and nine, and you can look at all of those healings that he did. And you can find that all of them pretty much fall under those categories, that they were harassed, they were helpless. And Jesus went into the world and he saw them up close and personal. He saw their suffering. He saw their anguish. And some of it, we ask, was caused by the choices that they made. Yet Jesus didn't take an I told you so mentality. He didn't take a holier than thou mentality. He felt compassion for them. He saw their suffering up close. I was uh, watching a documentary one time. It was uh, one of our political leaders. It was her daughter, very well-known name. Um, if I said it, you would all know it, and you'd either have love or hate for her. It, it tends to be one or the other. There doesn't tend to be a lot of middle ground in politics these days. Her daughter is a very well-known filmmaker, and uh, she went into the South to, to uh, kind of help understand it a little bit, and, and, she, and she was uh, filming different people, interviewing them, and, and doing all of this. Pretty good interview, pretty good documentary. But um, one of the things she says in the interview is that, you know, here are people who are politically on the absolute different side than she is, views things very differently, views the world very differently. And yet the whole time that they are having this conversation, their, their kids are, are playing together. They're, they're doing all of these things together. They have dinner together, her and this family, and, and they get to know one another. And one of the things she says in the documentary that has always stuck with me is that she says it's hard to hate up close. It's easy to hate someone when they're all the way over there. But it's hard to hate up close. It's hard to hate someone when you're right there sitting in their living room getting to know them. 
Now, it's always stuck with me. Jesus goes into their world. He sees where they are, and he can't help but to feel compassion for them. Compassion. And then not only compassion, he sees what's happening. They're, they're suffering and they're harassment. They're weary and they're tossed about. They're helpless. That's, that's usually such a violent word. It, it refers to being severely wounded. We're celebrating this weekend Veterans Day and, and we think about those veterans. Uh, so appreciated Art's prayer this morning. Those veterans who are suffering from PTSD and, and, and wounds and have come back not quite whole. And that's the kind of people that this word helpless is referring to. People who have been tossed about so badly that they are wounded, they are hurting. It's used of animals that are lying on the ground after being wounded. They're dejected, they're crippled, they're helpless. And as Jesus is looking at these people and he sees the harassment that they are having, the the helplessness that they're under, he cannot help but to feel compassion for them. You know, the Bible uses vivid language to describe those who are outside of Christ. It, it uses terms like unclean. They're in darkness. They're blind. They're, they're diseased. They, they're children of wrath. In Romans chapter three, verse 10 and following, it says there's none who understand. There are none who do good. There are none who seek God. They don't even know what they need. And so they're clawing around in darkness trying to find anything that will satisfy them, anything that will help them, anything that will bring them some measure of wholeness. And yet sin has rendered us helpless. Sin has rendered us totally depraved, totally helpless to do anything unable to save ourselves. It has affected every part of our being. In Romans chapter one, verse 25, it talks about how they exchanged the truth for a lie. They worshiped a creature. In other words, they worshiped something in creation. There is something in creation that they think will bring them salvation, that they think will make them whole. And over and over and over again, those things betray them time and time and time again. And so they worship, but they still worship something in creation rather than the creator. They're following the isms of the age. They're they're worshiping the idols of the age. They're practicing the evil practices of the age. We've talked about that before. All of this sin has rendered them absolutely helpless. Do you feel compassion for them? Do you remember what it was like to be there? Do you remember what it was like to understand that your sin has rendered you completely unable to do anything for yourself? To make it to where completely unable to be saved of your own of your own volition, of your own ability. Jesus looked at us and he felt compassion. He saw people that were lost and dejected in sin. And he felt compassion for us. 
And I want you to notice the third thing he does is that he provides a biblical interpretation. He provides a biblical interpretation. He says here, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He diagnoses what the issue really is. Jesus understands what the issue really is. There's all kinds of worldly explanations today of why our world is the way it is. Some people will say, well, it's a lack of education. It's a lack of resources, a lack of equity. It's CRT or, or whatever critical theory is out there. There's not enough liberation. There's not enough this or there's not enough that or there's, there's, there's too much of this or there's too much of that. Uh, they, they apply all kinds of definitions to why the world is the way it is today. And we do the same thing. We have people who come into the church and, and we apply worldly understandings as to why they're going through the things that they're going through. Oh, well, it must be this. It must be that. It must be, you know, fill in the blank. But Jesus gives us exactly what the issue is. They are like sheep without a shepherd. They are people who are separated from their shepherd. That's the problem. That's the issue. And they are, they are unsurrendered to their Lord. They should be worshiping Christ and they're not. Their lives are, uh, are, have been made a mess out of because they've tried going their own way, doing what's right in their own eyes instead of what is right in God's eyes. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus applies a biblical understanding, a biblical definition. You know, one of the things that I talk about in counseling is that it's so important that we use biblical terminology. If you, if, if you abandon biblical terminology, then beloved, you abandon biblical authority. If we're using terminology that is unbiblical, then you can look all through the Bible and yet you won't find it. We need to use biblical terminology and, and help people understand from Scripture, this is the issue. This is the problem. This is what you're experiencing. I remember there was a, there was a young lady who came to our church one Wednesday night, and she was um, talking about addiction, and, and she had had a history and problems with addiction, and and we sat down and talked about it a little bit. And she said, you don't understand. I've gone everywhere. No one understands how I feel. No one understands what I've gone through. No one understands what's happening in my life. And I took her to Judges chapter three and I read the passage where, where they would come under captivity and then they would, they would recognize their captivity. They would repent of their sin and go and cry out to God and he would deliver them only for them to go right back into captivity once they'd forgotten God again. And I remember she started crying because she said that is exactly what it feels like. I've never heard it put that way before, but that's exactly what it's like. You mean the Bible has answers for me? And I said, yes. The Bible knows exactly where you are because God knows exactly where you are and he wrote the Bible. There are biblical solutions, beloved. We don't, we don't come here to church to find 
great stories about God and about people in the past and, and listen to great truths about God. But then when it comes to real problems in the world, we have to trust the world to do that. No, there are real answers in the scriptures. There are real solutions. And what Jesus is doing here is that he, he, he finds where they are, he feels compassion for them, and then he applies a biblical definition. He, he interprets their, their issue. He, he understands where they are. You cannot do that unless you are in the battle with them. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And then, finally, he brings them himself and his answers. Look in verse 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I want you to notice how much Jesus cares here, that his care is not just simply sympathy. It's not just looking at the people and saying, oh, how I wish. But it's a, it's a sympathy. It's a, it's a compassion that prompts action. For God so loved the world, that's great, but it doesn't stop there. God so loved the world that he gave it. His love prompted him to do something, prompted him to make the ultimate sacrifice. And Jesus responds with action, with a wholehearted commitment to do something. And what does he do? He sends his church. He sends his church. In Matthew chapter 10 is the sending instructions that he gives us. What is it that we're supposed to do? Beloved, Jesus is the answer. You go out there in the world and you're basically gonna find three problems. And usually there's gonna be some interaction of all three. They're worshiping, they're believing the isms of the age. They're worshiping the idols of the age. And they're practicing the evil practices of the age. Beloved, our solution is found in Jesus Christ. How do we answer the isms of the age? What are, what are the three pillars of our ministry? You remember? They're specifically, they're specifically worded this way. How do we answer the isms of the age? By knowing the faith. How do we answer their worship of idols of the age? By living the faith. And how do, we, how do we answer the evil practices of the age? By sharing the faith. Beloved, in the same way, you're gonna find these three solutions, these three problems out in the world, idols, isms, and evil practices. You're gonna find that Christ gives us the answer because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. And we mature in that, and we find that his solutions to the world. So what can we do? What can we do to bring Jesus and his answers to the world? Number one, pray. Pray, we've talked about this, how prayer, this is a spiritual battle, and I hope that you have one in your life that you're praying for. But beyond that, beloved, be willing to be the instrument of your own prayers. Be willing to be the answer to your prayers. You know, it's amazing how often when you talk to missionaries like the Rainbolts, like, uh, 
like the uh, Danny Smith out in Wyoming. You talk to guys like this and you ask them, well, how did you feel called? What was the process you went through in order to uh, be called out there? It's amazing how often it started with prayer. They started praying for these areas. They started praying for God to send people out and then God called them. It's amazing how often that happens. And beloved, I'm asking you, I'm not asking you to go to a foreign nation. I'm not asking you to do that. But what I am asking you to do is pray and then be willing to be the answer to your prayers. You remember Nehemiah in chapter four, verse 14? Nehemiah, what did he do? He told the people they're facing a threat for building the wall. And he says, remember Yahweh, your God. But then what does he say? Fight. Have a sword ready. They literally worked with a tool in one hand and a sword in the other hand. They were, he told them, you need to pray, but then you need to be ready to be the answer to your own prayers. Sometimes I've wondered, if I'm not willing to be the answer to my own prayers, should I be praying it? I've wondered that sometimes. And I don't think that's true in every prayer we pray. I don't. I'm not gonna put a legalistic definition to that. But beloved, be willing to be the answer to your own prayer and then practice mercy. Practice mercy. Practice compassion. Beloved, the world has enough judgmentalism. The world has enough division. The world has enough political bickering. The world has enough of all of that stuff. Beloved, let's be people of mercy. Let's be people of compassion. Let's be people who say, you know what? We may not think the same way on these issues over here, but what we have to give you supersedes all of that. We have Christ. And Christ is the king. And no election is ever gonna change that. Nothing is ever going to change. Christ is the king. And he will be the king forever. And that's what we put our hope in. Not who might get elected in the next election. Not who might do this or that. Not who, whatever. Not, not in a program. Not in an emphasis. Not in anything. We put our hope in Jesus Christ. And that's the hope we want to share with the world. That's the hope we want to give them. So beloved, this morning, are you willing to be the answer to your own prayer? Are you praying for someone? I hope you are. But if you're praying for someone, I ask you, are you willing to be the answer to your own prayer? Will you go to them? Will you show them mercy? Will you get to know them? Just find out who they are. Get to know them. Whether they come to Christ or not, show them love. Show them compassion. Show them mercy. And are you willing to share the gospel with them? Will you be on mission? There are two kinds of churches. Just like the fortress mentality, just like the going mentality. There's two kinds of missions. You know, there's two kinds of churches. There are churches that I think want to have worship services. They like to come and they love to sing and they love to do all the things and worship services. That's great. That's wonderful. We do that. 
But then there are churches who want to be the church. They want to be on mission. They want to go into the world. They want their, their, they want their faith to be active in the world. They take it to work. They take it to school. They take it out in the community. They take it everywhere. And I think what Jesus is calling us here to is to be the church, is to be his body and to do what he did, to go enter their world, feel that compassion that he has for them, interpret what they're going through biblically, understand it from a biblical point of view and then provide them Jesus and his answers. I think that's the model of ministry we have here. So beloved, if you're here this morning and maybe you're lost, maybe you don't know Christ, maybe you are in need of Christ and his answers, we would love to share that with you. That's what we're here for. We're a hospital, we're not a museum. And beloved, we want to share with you how you can know Jesus Christ. So I wanna pray for in a moment and if you're here this morning and you have a need, maybe, maybe you have received the word but you need to confess Christ in baptism. Maybe you need to be baptized. We invite you to come. Maybe you have received the word and you have confessed the Lord in baptism, but you need to join with a, you need to covenant together with a, with a people of the Lord, with a local church. We would invite you to come and be a part of us. Whatever it is, we invite you to come. Our Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for this mission you've given us. And Lord, I know how much I am lacking in these ways. So Father, I pray that you will first of all give me a holy zeal for the mission. But second of all, Lord, that you will help me to lead us in a way that will lead us to go, to be sent, to enter into their world to feel the compassion that you feel. Lord, to provide your, you and your answers to them. Lord, if there's one here this morning that needs to know you, I pray this will be the morning you draw them to yourself. Maybe they have received the gospel, but they have not confessed it in baptism. May they come. Lord, maybe they're here this morning and They've done those things, but they know they need to join a gospel-preaching church, a Bible-teaching church. May they come. Or if there's one here who says, I, I really need Christ and his answers. I don't know what to do. Will you pray for me? I pray they would come. Whatever the need is, may they pray this morning. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna ask Miss Marlan just to play a, a, a verse or two of this hymn. I'm just gonna ask you to reflect. How, can, how are you being sent this morning? How are you being sent into the community? Is there someone that you are in need of showing compassion to? Maybe there's someone that you need to share the gospel with. Maybe you're the one that needs to have the gospel shared with you. Whatever your need is, I invite you to come this morning. Pray, reflect, whatever it is you need to do. I invite you to come.